Hi, welcome to Project Healing, a podcast whose mission is to shed light on true self-care, healing our inner demons, and connecting the world in deeper and more meaningful ways. We all have a story to share, and we're very excited to be a part of helping everyone to share their own along the path of their healing journey. I'm your host, Katherine Galvin, psychic medium and intuitive healer, and with me, I have my co-host. I'm Jenna Korzynski, empathic psychic medium and intuitive soul coach. I believe that we have to feel our pain in order to heal it, and that community is a large part of that process. Speaking our truth and riding the waves of life is how we heal, and we welcome you to do the same. This is Project Healing. We would like to thank our patrons for their support monthly, and if you would like to check out our Patron tiers, we have everything from monthly group meetings to just a simple shout out and one-on-ones as well as healing opportunities. So we would like to thank Jessica Lisland, Catherine Kendall, Manuela Cardenas, Reese the Rue, and Katie Duvetter, and Janet Adams, as well as Chelsea Ayers. Thank you all for your continued support. We appreciate you so much. Trigger warning. This episode has to do with topics of domestic violence and violence against children. Welcome back to Project Healing today. Uh, Jenna and I are not alone. We have um, a friend of Jenna's and a student of hers actually on with us. Jenna, I'll let you take it away. Say hello. Be polite. Do all the things. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Jenna. I'm kidding. She said be polite. And so I felt Your like your job's writing on this. <laughs> your job's writing on this. So, Miss Megan Lee is here with us today. And Megan and I have um, a relationship that many of you may relate to because we met through the, um, you know, intuitive TikTok world. So, that's how that went. <laughs> and Megan and I worked together to help her develop her skills. She's an amazing psychic medium. I'm going to plug her for a second. (laughs) Um, Really, really intuitive. And we just vibed like right away. Right. Would you agree with that, Megan? Yes. (laughs) We really did. Um, We both like to sing. She can actually sing though. I just pretend that I can. She's got a beautiful voice. (laughs) Um, And Megan's also um, listened to Project Healing. And always hits me up or Catherine up to let us know how she likes the show, which is awesome. And that's why we do this. We love it so much. Um, but she's also really We do it for soul. the praise. <laughs> you guys are my I sit on I sit my phone on my sink when I'm doing dishes. You guys are my dishwashing uh go to. I love, I love it. it. That's when I listen to Inner Bloom is when I'm doing my dishes so that I can totally relate to that. That's awesome. Um, So Megan is a very brave soul. And she came to me and said, Jenna, I have a story, but it's quite an intense story and I'm ready to share it. And I think that Project Healing is a perfect platform for that. And I said, let's go, girl. She said she's ready to release and it's intense and intense and release are two things that Catherine and I are down for at any given time. So... Um, I'm going to let her take over um, and go ahead. Megan, you can start from the beginning and just we'll maybe interject if we have questions or anything. Yes. I was going to say, well, first, thank you for having me on here. Um, I 
yeah, feel free to interrupt me at any time because I I don't know. I feel like I lived through this experience, so it makes a lot of sense to me in my head. And I don't realize that like it's not normal to everybody else. So some things might not make 100% sense. So just feel free to stop me and ask me questions, whatever. Um, I'm like getting really nervous, but okay. So I grew up with my family motto being say nothing, do nothing, and you won't get into trouble. But now as an adult, I understand that our family motto really meant say nothing, do nothing, and my father won't get into trouble. Mm. Um, I've never really spoken much about my childhood or opened up to my friends or family because I was conditioned not to. Um, and now a little over a year of therapy, I'm ready to share my story and gain my voice and truly start to heal. Um, my father is a very charming, polite, charismatic, hospitable man who is a pro at appearing as though he is the kindest and most caring person. Growing up, I thought everyone knew who he truly is. Surely at the very least, his brothers and sisters would know who their brother really is. But I see now that is far from true. My dad really was one person to the outside world. And when he entered our home and closed the front door behind him, he took off his outside costume or mask and was a very different person with my family. When I'm asked to recall happy memories from my childhood, my mind goes blank. I grew up with parents who screamed, shouted, and threw things at each other. Violence and chaos was my reality, my normal, my understanding of the world. It wasn't until I started going to friends' houses that I realized my family was different. I always thought happy families only existed on TV shows and movies. I truly thought happy families were fiction made up for entertainment. I can't explain how surprised, shocked, and even uncomfortable I was when I saw other people's parents being affectionate in real life. Abuse was so normal and so frequent growing up that one of my earliest memories is gathering my siblings and plotting with them to put hardback books down our pajama bottoms so that it would soften the blow when my dad beat us. For reference, I was probably about four or five years old. After shoving the books down our pants, we thought we were so clever and funny that we marched upstairs and told our dad to smack our bottoms. He finally sussed on, or he obviously sussed on pretty quickly and pretended to hurt his hand with every smack on our bottoms. He would, he would pretend to smack us and scream, ow. And we thought this was hilarious. I remember giggling and feeling so clever. Um, now looking back, it makes me sick to my stomach thinking back to that moment now as an almost 30-year-old woman, as kids, we thought it was funny to shove hardback books down our pants to protect our bottoms from hurting if our dad were to lay into us that night, and then laughing about it with my siblings. But really, it's fucked up that I felt like I had to protect myself before I went to bed because my dad lost his temper fre- frequently and would beat us at such a young age. Kids that grew up in normal, healthy households would never feel the need to shove anything down their pants to protect themselves from their parents or guardians. I don't think I can explain this realization properly to people who never grew up with child abuse. Hugh, I want to ask you a question real quick. You said that um, when you started to going to friends' houses, that's when you started to realize that things um, in your household were different. About what age would you say that you had that you came to that realization? Um, probably. I don't know. I started spending like a lot of times with my friends at like 
sixth grade, probably. Mm, okay. And like really paying attention, I guess, to how their parents. Like, I remember I go to friends' houses and it would be weird to me when my friends' parents would come home and they would greet each other with kisses. Like, that was so bizarre to me. I really would see that on TV and just think that was something that was made up for fiction. Like, I tr- I truly thought that my home was the normal. Yeah. And anything I saw on TV was just made up if it didn't, like, go along with my reality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. Um. But most of my childhood memories are abusive. And when I think about my childhood, I always remember my little tykes picnic table that was in our apartment living room. And then my memories hijacked by the time my parents were fighting, yelling and screaming. And finally, my dad threw my mom into the picnic table and made her cry. My dad was always beating the shit out of my mom. One time it was so bad that she crawled over to the phone to call the cops. And my dad snatched the phone out of her hand, whacked it over her head repeatedly And then he hung up the phone. He didn't even wait to hang up the phone. Um, One time my mom actually got through to the cops. And when they showed up, my dad flashed them his badge. And the cops apologized to my dad for showing up. Like, I watched the cops come to my house. And then my dad just flashes his badge. And they said sorry and left. So he worked in law enforcement as well then? My dad was a police officer. Mm. Um, and if you were to ever meet my father, he would probably leave a great impression on you. I've told many boyfriends about my abuse before. One boyfriend didn't even want to meet my dad after he found out about all the shit he's done to me and my family. But after he met my dad, he completely forgot how much of a monster he is. If you were to meet my dad, you'd never suspect him to be short tempered. You certainly wouldn't be able to imagine him being violent in any way. He's so good at putting on a show for anyone outside of my immediate family. He's so good at winning people over, but he was a complete monster to us. I remember teachers and friends' parents telling me how lucky I was to have my father. Outsiders only saw what my dad let them see. We went on family trips all over the country and internationally. He provided enough to have our mom be a stay-at-home wife to tend to his four children. My mom would show up to every school event with a smile on her face and everyone thought we were the best little family. I wonder how no one saw any of it, but my dad conditioned us so well not to tell anyone. When Zanga came out, do you guys remember Zanga? The the social media platform? It was like for blogging. No, I do not. Was it like a journaling Um, forum kind of thing? Yes. It was like, not like MySpace or anything, but you could go on and like make your own blog posts and friends would follow you. And um, yeah, so when that came out, I remember uploading a little blog post about how I hated my parents. And this was back when um, my family shared a computer. Um, so of course, my dad saw the post and made me delete it along with my entire profile. And then he beat the shit out of me. Not only did my dad condition us to stay quiet by threatening us with physical violence, he manipulated my mom into believing that if she, if, sorry, he manipulated my mom into believing that if he was put into jail, my mom would have no means to support us kids and we'd be split up and put into the foster care system. My dad got away with so much. I literally lived in fear every day and thought it was normal. I thought walking on eggshells around my parents was normal. 
We never knew what mood my dad was in, but even if he was in a good mood, it could switch in an instant. I remember being around 8 to 10 years old, and I was watching cartoons by myself. My dad came over, sat on the couch, grabbed the remote, and changed the channel. Me being me, stubborn, even at the age of 8, I grabbed the remote and I changed the channel back. We kept fighting over the remote until finally my dad picked me up by the arm and a leg and threw me up the first landing of stairs, repeatedly kicking me in my ribs and my stomach. He threw me up the next landing, kicked me into my bedroom where he continued to kick me as I was crying. I couldn't even breathe. I was sobbing so hard. I finally managed to muster out that I'd peed my pants and my dad stopped kicking me. He stood over my curled up body in a puddle of my own urine, watched me sob, and then walked out of the room as if nothing ever happened. Think about how confusing my life was growing up. I lived in a constant state of survival mode, but thinking it was normal, and still loving my dad because he was my father. And I just thought this happened to every kid. I thought every dad did this to his family. I'd watch my dad beat the shit out of my mom. I'd watch my mom try to defend herself with whatever she could get her hands on, only to have my dad yank it from her and use it against her. Report card time was the worst. We'd all hide and we'd all hide when report cards came in the mail. We'd hide under the kitchen table praying we didn't get anything lower than a B. We'd pray that my brother had a good report card, but most of the time he didn't, and as soon as the front door opened, we'd scramble. We knew my brother was going to get a beat down. He was probably in the sixth grade during this particular memory when report cards came in and my dad wasn't happy with Ryan's. My dad called him over and my sister and I watched from the top of the stairs through the railing as my dad punched Ryan over and over. I can still see Ryan trying to defend himself by curling up in a ball and putting his arms over his face. The worst part was all of us screaming for my dad to stop and we screamed for my mom to do something but all she could do was scream from the couch for my dad to stop. To be honest, I still don't understand why my mom didn't get in between Ryan and my dad but we were all so scared of my dad, every single one of us. My dad fucked Ryan up so bad that day that my dead grandmother visited my dad in his dreams that night. My mom told me that after my dad attacked my brother, my dad shot straight up out of his sleep, that it startled my mom and woke her up. My mom said that as soon as she saw my dad sitting up in bed, she knew it was my grandmother. My dad said his mom came to him and wagged her finger at him and said, which is something I remember her doing when she was alive. Um, but not even a visit from his dead gram- from his dead mother could stop his abuse. My sister hardly spoke in our house. She didn't want to get a beating. I don't remember my dad ever laying a finger on my sister or my younger brother, and I think I resented my sister for that, for not getting in trouble. Um, I always saw her as the golden child, but she said nothing, and she did nothing, so she didn't get in trouble. Our motto was repeated to us so often that I thought everyone lived by this motto, Everyone lived a life like this, and I believed that no one spoke about their family abuse because of this motto. But as I got older, I started to become aware of more things, like my dad cheating on my mom. I would hear my parents arguing about my mom finding lipstick on my dad's clothes or why he kept coming home so late. One time my dad was on the computer while my mom was out, so I thought it would be the perfect opportunity to see what my dad got up to when my mom wasn't home. I grabbed a broom and pretended to sweep behind my dad. I could make out that he was emailing a woman, but before I could see anything else, my dad caught me. He ripped the broom out of my hands and beat my ass with the broomstick. The older I got, the less I was able to say nothing or do nothing. In college, my mom went away for her Dragon Boat Worlds competition in Florida. I heard my dad arguing with somebody on the phone outside my bedroom. I could hear him saying, honey, honey. 
but I, I assumed it was my mom. So I ran outside hoping to say hi to her. When my dad saw me, he literally dropped the phone to the ground. I asked him if he was talking to my mom and he said no. I could sense the tension, so I went back into the house. When I asked my dad about it later, he said it wasn't my mom. And I asked him who it was, and he said it was his coworker. And without even thinking, I said, oh, so you call your coworker, honey? And just like my dad does when he's caught, he wound up his arm to backhand me. Luckily, I saw it coming and I backed up, stared at my dad in shock and disbelief that he'd still try to abuse me in my 20s. Side note, to this day, I still flinch whenever somebody raises their hand quickly and they're in close proximity to me. This has happened around friends and they think I'm such a weirdo when I flinch, but I usually just laugh it off and it's embarrassing. Anyways, when my dad finally left my mom and six months later, we met his girlfriend who he was living with. Yes, you heard that right. Six months after my dad left my mom, he was living in an apartment with his girlfriend. His girlfriend made it abundantly clear that she had met my dad way before he left my mom. And despite that, I tried to get along with his girlfriend. I really didn't mind her um, until I met one of my dad's coworkers a few times. I went out to lunch with my dad and he brought his coworker. When I asked my dad about his girlfriend, he threw daggers at me with his eyes and I could sense the tension realizing that the coworker didn't know anything about my dad's girlfriend. I suspected for a while that my dad was cheating on his girlfriend with his coworker and that was confirmed when my cousin saw him out in public kissing the coworker. I wasn't surprised, but I could only bear so much of my dad's burdens. Not only did my dad cheat on my mom throughout their whole marriage, he was now cheating on the woman he left my mom for. How could I look his girlfriend in the eyes as my mom or sorry, how could I look his girlfriend in the eyes as her mom and aunt press my dad about when he's going to marry her? Um, which I don't even know if they realize that my dad or my mom are not divorced yet. Um, how could I look her in the eyes when she's asking my siblings and me in front of my dad about the apps she found on his phone that are clearly for men who are cheating? I refuse to cover up for my dad any longer. So I started distancing myself from my dad. When my mom started talking about moving back to England, I was preparing myself to only have my dad here in the States with me. I'd learned to forgive him for all of his abuse he'd put me through. Um, and after college, I was starting to get over what had happened to me in my childhood. My dad hadn't laid a finger on me since high school, and it was important to me to have him in my life since my mom was leaving, even if that meant sweeping my childhood under the rug. I haven't even mentioned the credit cards he opened up in my name and the $13,000 debt he racked up at the men's warehouse. Um, but just as I was coming to terms with all of this, I found out that my dad flashed his dick to my step-cousin. Can you imagine hearing about your father? I found out about two other people who he had done this to, and when they were young girls, underage girls. And later, another person opened up to me about it as well. That's four girls, underage girls, children, that he flashed his penis to. I was sick to my stomach. This triggered my second spout of shingles. My dad stressed me out so much that I broke out in fucking shingles. The craziest thing is I wasn't the one that ended my relationship with my dad. He did. When my mom moved to England, the only thing she left at the house was stuff that belonged to my siblings and me. So when he told my brother he was going back to the house with his realtor, I knew he was lying. I knew he didn't have a realtor, and that was one of the things he was dragging his feet on for the divorce and selling the house. Alarm bells were going off in my head. 
When I called him out on his lies, he didn't even try to deny. He did what he does best and fought back with emotional abuse. He cut me off from the only thing he had left holding over my head, which was my phone and still being on the family plan. He cut me off of our family plan and I haven't spoke to him since. It's been a year and a half since I've spoken to my dad and I can't tell you how much growing, healing, even thriving I've done without him shadowing over me. I don't have to worry about doing something wrong. I'm free to be my own person now. And that includes sharing my story, living my life authentically and healing from his abuse. I realize that the more I open up about my past and what's happening, what happened to me, the more I heal, the more, the more voice I gain for myself. So thank you for having me on your podcast and listening to my story and allowing me to share. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. I know that was intense for you. Um, We talked before we came on about trying to make this conversational and you weren't in a place to do that. And you went with what worked for you. So I just want to give you kudos for standing up and saying, hey, this is how I feel comfortable. And that's okay. So um, that was a lot to take in. I'm sure Catherine would agree with that. (laughs) Um, How are you doing? Good. I think... Probably was easier for me to do it reading it because I'm more um, like just reading words off of a piece of paper instead of like reliving it in my head and feeling it. I'm just I was able to just like zone out and just read the words on my little note card thing. So, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I also the more I talk about it, the easier it is. Like when I first started therapy, I was obviously bawling my eyes out and. It was a very emotional reliving the trauma all the time. Now, when I tell it, whether it's reading it or speaking about it with somebody else, I can tell it more calmly and it doesn't come with all the emotions of reliving it. It's just, it's still emotional for me to talk about. It's just that I don't feel like I'm back in that moment reliving it like I used to do before I started therapy. Yeah. This is probably a little personal, but are all of your siblings in therapy? My sister is, and I'm comfortable sharing that because she is a very like big advocate about therapy and going. And if anybody needs, like, as anybody, if anybody's close to her and wants to know about how she got into therapy or how to find a therapist, she's very open about that. Um, I know my other brothers are not very in touch with that and not very comfortable with therapy. Um, I think my older brother did anger management at one point. Um, and he may be in therapy. I'm not sure, but yeah. Do you guys, do you and your siblings, how are your relationships with each other now? It's complicated because, um, my older brother was like my best friend in my rock when I was growing up, but then we sort of grew apart. Um, when we went to high school my sister and I hated each other. I think my parents like kind of pinned us against each other. And also I always bore the brunt of, we shared a bedroom too. So if the room was messy, it was always my fault. Um, but also that was another thing going to therapy. I had my therapist point out to us. I remember one time I, this is what I told my therapist one time Um, before we went to bed, I crawled into bed with my sister. She was on the top bunk and very sweetly, I said to her, um, look at mom's hair, look at dad's hair, look at my hair, look at Ryan's hair. We all have brown hair and you have blonde hair. 
Um, and I said, like, do you know why you don't have the same color hair as us? And she was like, no, I don't know why. And I was like, because you are a Martian that our parents found in outer space and they felt bad for you. So they adopted you and you are a Martian and you live with us. And she bawled her eyes out and she cried herself to sleep that night. And I went into my bottom bunk bed thinking that I really got her. And that is like one of the things that eats me up alive, like to this day. But my therapist explained to me that if we lived in a healthy family, my sister would have felt comfortable calling out to my parents for help. And my, if my parents were healthy parents, they would have came in and said, Megan's making up lies. That's not true. Megan apologized to your sister. And my therapist said to me, why do you think that your sister couldn't call on your parents? And it made me realize that when we did call out for help with our parents, sometimes you didn't know who was going to get into trouble. So you could have been the one that really needed the help, but because our parents were in a bad mood or whatever, they could have like banged both of our heads together or said like, you know, don't tattle on your sibling. And then she would have gotten in trouble. Like we really just didn't know. So we had to self soothe and kind of deal with it ourselves. Right. Yeah. She also didn't have the voice to speak back to you either. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of want to ask you about this whole family motto thing, this say nothing, do nothing. What exactly now did your dad come up with this? Is this came from him? Yes. And what exactly, how did he preach this and teach this to you guys? Cause, because when I hear it, it, it all goes to like, negative to me, to be honest with you. Um, that was like his way of controlling no- us. Yeah. So how did he make you guys feel like it was a good thing? You know, is that we, I don't think we felt like it was a good thing. It was hmm. just like the thing that played in the back of our heads, like not oh. to do anything. So if we did get in trouble, he would say like, well, this is because you, you need to say nothing, do nothing. And you won't get into trouble. Like he always just said that there was no like really explanation. I remember even like car rides, he would be having that. He would like be drilling this into our head. Like you need to be, you need to behave, like say nothing, do nothing. And you won't get into trouble. Like didn't go into any real explanation. It was just, we always knew we just had to shut up and not do anything. Okay. So it was more, um, a direction for you Mm -hmm. guys, basically. Okay. I was trying to wrap my head around that. Like, how is that, you know, now it makes sense to me. Um, but I like to point out the fact that Megan took her power back around that phrase. Um, and she has started a podcast of her own called say nothing, do nothing, which is in the works. Um, and what are you, what are you going to talk about on your podcast? What's the, what's your whole mission behind it? Share that with us. The whole way that started was my therapist asked me to start blogging or something. And I don't really like to write, even though I do write a lot before I do the podcast. Um, but I was thinking how I'm going to share my story with the world and, at first I asked my sister to do it with me and she did not want to. Um, it was all just like in the works. And then I started reaching out to other friends, like who could I do a podcast with where I could explore my thing, but what would they get out of it if I was talking about my own story? So I had to think about it for a little while, but there were a lot of friends that came back to me and were like, Oh, I would do a podcast with you on like childhood trauma or whatever. And we could host it and do this, that, And I got so much feedback that it made me realize there are so many people out there like dying to share their story of their childhood trauma because 
for me, I don't know about everybody else, but for me, it was something I was never allowed to talk about because it was so shameful. Also, I was embarrassed of it as a little kid. Like I didn't want anybody to know that my dad was like that behind closed doors. I didn't want anybody to know that I was getting beat because I guess I was a quote unquote bad kid or like misbehaving. I didn't want anybody to know I was misbehaving. So I think a lot of people are dying to share their story. And so this is where the pot, the, the podcast came to mind is if I start the, the podcast with my first episode being my story um, and just get that out there off my chest. And hopefully I'll have other people who want to come on and share their story and we can kind of go back and forth. And I think I'll still be able to insert like tidbits of my own life throughout it. So it will just be like my own, well, I guess my own project healing, but this will be my <laughs> project for my healing. Um, and like I said, the more I talk about this and get it off my chest and the more stories I share and the less, um, like emotionally charged it is for me, the less I have to relive those memories. They, these things still crop up for me where they'll, I, I don't really know what triggers it, but things will just come up and I have those memories replay back in my head. So hopefully having somewhere where I can talk about it and get this stuff off my chest and not, I bottled this up for almost 30 years now. I'll be 30 in April and getting to talk about all this stuff that I've never been able to talk about. No, I'm curious. Do you find that the more you talk about it, the more memories resurface? I do find that, especially yeah. recently where I've started talking about this with other people because I'm sharing my idea of the podcast. I do find that more things are cropping up. When I was when I just started therapy, I could only think of a handful of things. Um, we even did EMDR. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah. And yeah. so when she makes you start with a memory and then it kind of is supposed to go trickle down to another memory and another memory and another memory, there were only a few memories that would crop up. And yeah, now that I'm talking about it more, there's more things that are starting to resurface and haunt me in my dreams and in my waking life. Just before Jenna interjects, I, on a side note, I really believe that EMDR doesn't work for psychics and mediums. I did one session and the story that I shared with you guys about being eight years old with the TV remote, my dad kicking me, that was what, that was my most painful memory. I couldn't talk about it without sobbing. I couldn't think about it without reliving the whole thing in my head. And after EMDR, I do feel like now I can just look back at it as a memory, not as like a reliving the whole event. So that worked for me, but it was so draining. My therapist was, was like, we can do another one next week. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to mm-hmm. maybe like another time down the road, but I haven't done another one since. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it is hard to process that. And we all process things differently. So somebody might walk out of that experience going, wow, that was great. That was so helpful for me. And you didn't have that experience. And then Catherine had an experience where it didn't even work for you at all. Catherine, is that what you're saying happened? Mm-hmm. I think it was it was like Megan just said it was so physically draining because you're you're empathic, you're intuitive. And I think when you get really close to those memories that you've disassociated yourself from, you have to re-feel it. So for an average person who isn't highly intuitive, I think you're able to witness it and you're able to remove the emotion from it. And I believe and I mean I might be totally off base here, but this is my personal belief. 
they're able to remove the emotion from it and move on. But when you do this process with someone who is intuitive and a highly emotional and sensitive person, I think you reprocess that emotion and you reprocess the emotion of the abuser and you reprocess the emotion of the people who are in the room when the event happened. And I think it's just so much more than that because I had a hard time allowing myself to even connect to the emotion in the memories that I was sharing in EMDR. And then even when I did, it was just, it was like Megan said, it was exhausting. So to get back to Mm. that spot, like you can't even be you're kind of excited about therapy. Like you don't want to be excited about it because of what you're going to hash out, but you're excited to be moving toward a healthier state. But when that involves dragging yourself down to like below zero, just to get yourself back up to in to a black number or whatever, it's, it's definitely, it kind of adds anxiety to the situation. Um, Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my, my therapist theory. did like the white light stuff afterwards. So she had me like imagine the white light and had me imagine like she made me put a shape and a form and a feeling and yeah. a sound to my emotion and had it. She was like, where do you feel it? Okay. Imagine the ball. Mine was like a, I think mine was like a black smoky cloud mm-hmm. of emotion that just continually like, you know, swam around, I guess. And I was able to picture that and I felt it in my throat and my like heart chest area. Yeah. And so you picture the white light coming down or you pick the color of the light, but it's a healing light that you picture going through your body, just like we do when we meditate and try to connect with source and stuff like that. And you picture the white light, just like clearing away the energy and melting it away. And you continue to do that until it's completely gone. And then the whole light fills your body. And once you've done that, you sit with it for a little while until you feel calm again. And then you can come back to, I don't know, reality, normal. I don't know. Back to consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. still, um, that's something I still do is identify the shape and the density and the way that it's rotating and that kind of thing. And then watch it like unwind the other direction and lose density and become lighter. Do you still use that? Occasionally, but not as often as I should. I I just forget that that is a thing sometimes, you know? Yeah, it's a really, it's that's I use that with coaching clients too. It's a really cool tool to use to put a visual effect in and you can physically feel it like in your chest, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. Um, So listening to that story and hearing just about the character of your father, um, obviously the actions and emotions behind it scream narcissist right um and you were talking about how he was so great at putting on that show for everyone else and having to kind of sit back and witness that and seeing like the Jekyll and Hyde um in it all has there ever been a moment where you were able to call him out on that or did you never get to that place nope I never got to that place I no, we didn't have like, emotional conversations like that. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. And what about like, I mean, when, what age would you say you were when you started to really pick up on that? The only reason I'm asking you this is because I have a very similar experience of someone very close to me that it was literally a completely different person in public versus who I knew. Um, and for so long, 
I played along, right? And I was like, oh, maybe he really is a great person. And yeah. maybe I'm seeing it wrong. And I blamed myself. So I'm just curious if you had, did you have some of those same feelings of like, am I going crazy? Yes. Or like, did like, at what point did it click for you? I was like, probably about 14 when it first clicked for me that I was like, this is not normal to be like one person and then a completely different person. I started realizing it when people started pointing out how amazing my father is. And I'm like, mm. oh, this he's amazing. Oh, oh, okay. But then this also goes back to me as a kid believing that parents knew everything. If you were an adult, you knew everything. So I thought people knew how he treated me. And I also thought that's how other people treated their family too. Right. So I was like, oh, okay. My, my dad is, is an amazing person. But that's when I started. That's when I was like, oh, people think he's amazing. That's when I started realizing like, maybe not that he's a Jekyll and Hyde, but that people saw him a different way than I did. Yeah. And I think for a while that made me think, oh my, like that was part of the reason why I didn't want to tell people that he was such a horrible person because people pointed out, like he provides for you. Like he's a great dad. He does this, that, and the other thing for you guys. Like you're so lucky to have him as a dad. And then I was like, okay, well maybe my situation's not as bad as I think it is. Like you never even, you don't even know like how it's just crazy to me looking back at, as at my childhood and seeing like what I process and how I viewed the world and And it just makes me think like when I come in contact with other children, like I better be careful what I say because you never know what's going to stick with them for the rest of their life or how I treat them. Is this going to be a memory that like burns in the back of their head or is this going to be something that they're always going to be like happy that that happened? Or maybe they're not even going to remember like this um, like experience, like it could go any way. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I definitely relate to that. And it actually, um, that we get to go do a whole different episode about this, but it's something that like my husband and I struggle with, with parenting because I am so cautious of what I say around my children and how I interact with them because of my personal experiences. And because of all the things that I learned studying child development and child psychology, I took those classes because I liked kids, but I learned so much about myself when I took those classes And I learned so much about what I would do differently comparing my life to what I learned. Um, So I really relate to that. Like you see a child and you're like, you want to keep them in their little cute little rose quartz crystal bubble, right? Like stay in there and stay innocent and don't let anybody shatter shatter your vision. So I get it. I totally, totally understand that. What if you could offer up some um, words of wisdom for our listeners, um, what is it that you want to share with them? On the topic that we were just talking about, I would say that kids are picking up on everything around them. They are smarter than people give them credit for. Um, your home for your children is their whole world and life. They don't see anything that you don't bring into the home. They don't really see anything that is outside of the home. So what you are modeling for your children inside your home, that's what their view of the world is going to be. So growing up, my view of the world was having two unhappy parents that always screamed and fight and 
that really shaped me. And I had to get help because I thought if my boyfriends and I were not fighting and bickering all the time, they don't love me and they're not fighting for me kind of thing. Mm. And it's the same when I see, I have a couple of friends who have kids and they are not very happy with their spouse or partner. And, you know, people want to stay together in their home for the kids, but they don't realize that they might actually be doing more harm by staying than they would by leaving. Um, And I don't know. I think it's important for kids to have happy parents. Like that is super, super important. Not, you know, if you're raising a kid where mommy does all the cooking, cleaning, laundry, taking care of everything, and dad just gets to go to work and come home and do nothing except for sit on his butt and watch TV, you're raising your son and daughter to believe that mommies do all of that work and daddies just get to go to work and come home and do nothing. And that's what your kids are going to grow up thinking. So, you know, if you want your person to, if you want your children to be kind human beings and loving and have healthy relationships growing up, that's what you have to model as parents. That would be number one advice for me. <laughs> to <Beautiful. get> help. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I need Jessica. to say, I'm just annoyed. Could you feel it brewing, Jenna? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm trying to put words to it. It's, it's very rare that I'm left without words. I just, I think that the strength and, and the confidence that you spoke about your situation, it's, it's inspiring. And what I'm getting from all of this, especially in naming your podcast exactly what you were told to keep you quiet and keep you unprotected and unsafe and unheard is your very platform to speak on and let other voices be heard is just so empowering. And it's such an inspiring thing that you're doing. So I really hope that you you hit this hard and you hit it with the same vigor that you volunteered to be on the show because it's so important. It is so important. That's what this podcast was created around, giving everyone a voice that feels like they don't have one and speaking up for those who feel that they can't. So good for you because there are other people out there who have fathers in positions of power who are in the same situation that you were and they're too scared to say anything or they're not ready to see a therapist and just listening to you today is going to push them to that spot. And it's so huge. And you're in a function, like you're a functional member of society. You're working, you're working on yourself, which is so huge. And you're not taking anyone's bullshit. And that is so important. There are so many people who are raised in environments (laughs) like yours who never bounce back because they're afraid to, but they're missing out on so much. So you did this scared, but you did it. And that's thank incredible. you. So thank you for being brave with us today. I that reminds me of something that my sister said to me while she and I were recording my first episode was she said, you know, Meg, because of everything that you went through, like you are the person you are. But I also I said to her, I said, yes, it did shape me into who the person I am. But, you know, it would have been better if I had two parents that showed me how to be who I am today, not shaped me into who I am today. Yeah, that's a really good Absolutely. point. <sighs> so be kind to your kiddos. 
raise them in happy environments, (laughs) teach them how to be functional human beings. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right. Should we do a conversation card? You guys might giggle over this one a little bit, but I was like, okay, it is a random, it's a random conversation card for the day. What book character would you most like to be and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> so random. I'll go first because I, I looked at this a minute ago, so I kind of thought about it and I can't remember any of their names now, but one of my favorite books is Tuck Everlasting. Do you guys remember that book where they drank from the fountain of youth and they stayed young or they stayed the same I age forever? I call my dog Tuck Everlasting. <laughs> oh, to see uh, Tuck and you'll I never love- die. He took it to heart. That dog lived way too long. Right? (laughs) So I think that I would be one of those characters because I think it would be kind of crazy to watch the world change before your eyes. Not that they didn't face hardships, but that's what I got. How about you guys? Either of you? What's the question? Who I think that I relate to or who I would like to be? Who you want to be. Who would you like to be? I have to think about it for a little while. Okay. Yeah, that's a tough one on the spot. I know it to is. Think what I've read that hasn't been about trauma or like <laughs> Ayurvedic eating or something lately. You know, though. I'd I'm like reading, to be Sahara Rose. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely right read now a lot I'm of reading fiction. Go ahead. I'm sorry, sorry Catherine. No, I'm reading right now where the crawdads sing. I don't know if you've heard of it or read it, but. It's like a coming of age story and you like things come to you when you need them the most. And I'm telling you, somebody literally just handed it to me and was like, I'm done reading this book. Like, here you go. Like you read it. Like, it's a great story. Read it, whatever. But it's about this girl who her whole family basically leaves her at the age of 10. All of her siblings and mother left her at six. And then she was left with her abusive drunken dad. And he sort of raised her but didn't and she was afraid of him up until she was 10 years old and then he finally left her and she's left in this like swamp land in North Carolina and has to raise herself and she feeds herself she forages for food like all this crazy stuff but not that that was me but it just this book that I don't think you should be sobbing to at all because it's just I don't know but like I have taken so much emotion to it where I'm like yes honey like you forage for your food and you raise yourself and you know she like gets her period and doesn't know what it is but she has this woman who she like buys food from that she could ask and like she brings her pads and tampons and I'm just like oh my god she's dealing with like her period by herself and she's just so strong this 14 year old girl who like doesn't know anything about the world except for like how the swampland works and I'm just like that's kind of like me so that's not who I want to be, but that's who I relate to the most at this moment. <laughs> Got it. I love I'll that. I'll take it. I'll take that. <laughs> um, You know, I feel like I got nothing. I can't think of any books that I've read now. I'm over here like, um, you know, I'd really like to be Llama Llama's mom and the one where she decides she's not going to clean and just throws her shit everywhere. And then Llama Llama gets confused and he's like, why is there no room for my puzzle? And Llama Llama's mom is basically like, listen, you little shit, let's clean up together. And that's what happens. Except in my real version, I clean up and then I just get stared at like I'm a crazy mother. So 
I want to be Llama Llama's mom because she gets her fucking point across. (laughs) You know you're a mom when. I went through the same thought process. I was like, oh my gosh, all I can think of are children's books. I was like, okay, Little Red Riding Hood, no. Um. (laughs) Rosie the Riveter. (laughs) We read her. I'm a boy mom. We read our boys a lot of female empowerment books. And it's not yes. just me. My husband will too. And I love it. And they're obsessed Good. with like Doc McStuffins. They love watching her, that little girl doctor. It's so cute. I love it. But you know, I have to toot my own horn over here based on what you said about being kind to your children because I struggle with that often, not just being kind to them, but wondering if I'm kind enough and like what the line is because my dad was a very emotionally volatile person. He was definitely narcissistic. He was definitely abusive. And I'm always like, am I being too much? Am I doing too little? Which is what every parent struggles with, right? But today, and my husband is military and he's gone right now. And our middle child is the biggest daddy's boy in the entire world. And he is struggling so much. He's three. He's already got, he's an Aries with big emotions. And yeah, me too. Me too. So that poor kid, it's, it's a lot of fire in our house, but he's struggling hard and he was crying earlier and he's talking about his daddy and he misses his papa because my parents are in upstate New York and we're down in Virginia. And Jameson is laying down to go to bed and he goes, you know, mom, he's also way too well-spoken for three, but he goes, you know, mom, I really miss my daddy and I'm sad about that, but I'm still oh. happy. And he said, you are still happy. And he goes, yeah, I'm still happy. And he like squeezes my arm And he says, do you miss my daddy? And I said, yeah, I do miss your daddy. And he goes, well, are you still happy? I said, yeah, because I have you guys. And he looks over at his brother. They all have the same dad for the record. But just to throw the funny in there, he goes, Wesley, do you miss my daddy? (laughs) (laughs) That's so so cute. cute. But he was so he was he wanted to make sure that everyone was still happy, even though they missed him. And how profound is that? That little boy knows that you can be sad and struggle and still be on the good side of things. Yeah, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm doing something right. He's a potty mouth, Aww. but he's a smart potty mouth with big emotions, and that's okay. I'm definitely going to raise potty mouth kids. When I-, <laughs> I was gonna, The moment that I learned that, like, swearing is a sign of, like, emotional intelligence, I was like, I'm winning the whole world. Oh, man, <laughs> I have the mouth of a, a tr- genius. Yeah, right? So is Eva, even though, you know, she... (laughs) Yeah, those two are never meeting. Oh, my God. Okay, so you are a little girl going through incredible struggles living in a swampland. Jenna is an actual character that other people know and identify with because she's a fucking teacher. And then (laughs) I'm Llama Llama's mom. We need more prep work for these questions next time. I feel like we also need like a themed party or something where we can dress up as these characters and act like them for the evening. That is rude. (laughs) Megan and I will make the mess and and you'll force us to clean it up. It's fine. (laughs) The thing is though, my kids are so upset that that house is so messy and I'm reading this book like peeping over it like. This looks like your room. What do you mean you're upset she didn't put her garbage in the trash? Where's yours? 
I don't understand. <laughs> it's not okay. But you know what? We're still happy. That's all that matters. Yep. Bugs and all. That's no. so important. Oh, yeah. my God. We just curse under our breath sometimes. It's fine. Yeah, under our breath. That's right, Jenna. Okay. Megan, thank you so much for joining us and being so brave and sharing and also, all that you shared with us tonight. Do you do personal private readings as well? Not yet. I'm not confident in myself yet. I do like readings for my friends, actually, but and not close friends. I cannot do close friend readings. Yeah, I don't know if that's sense. like a thing for you guys yeah. either. Yeah. So I have like my friends are like, come on, like I know you do readings, like let's go. And I'm like, I pull the cards and I'm like, uh, uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like because I know like what's going on in their lives. So also I'm like, am I getting these messages or do I know these mess like do I is it just something that I already know? But the readings that I do for like people that I don't know that well or don't know like what's going on in their lives, I feel like those are more spot on. And people are like, oh my God, like how did you know that? And I'm like, I don't because know. you are amazingly intuitive <laughs> and you need to stop doubting yourself. <laughs> my medium, my medium readings I can do and with friends and those come through like clear as day, but I'm not, I'm not like doing those for like money or anything. I just do them for friends, like just for fun at this point. Um, we'll see. We'll see the podcast though, that, um, that I kept getting like messages for like, you know, start the thing that you've been like tr wanting to start or whatever, like, you know, write it down, start it, get it done. Like Good. that's going to be your thing. Like I kept getting messages like that. And I was like, yep, you know what? I'm starting it. It's the new year. It's time. Awesome. So who knows? Amazing. Awesome. awesome. Love well, it. thank you. We always say goodbye three times on here because I can never. Thank you for up. having so me. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for coming on and sharing your story and pat your little doggy on the head for us. I will. All right. Thanks. <laughs> My little guys. drama queen. Exactly. Thank y'all for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Project Healing. <laughs>